Father, we come to you. Oh, that, that we, we could call you Abba, Father. Jesus, we need you so much. We trade our sorrows for joy. We trade our poverty for grace and riches. We trade our sin for your forgiveness. Jesus, you've done it all so that we could have it all, and we say thank you. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and and help us to see Jesus in your word. Take from the things about Jesus and make them real to our hearts. Father, forgive the one who speaks. My sins are so many. But the longing in my heart, my prayer, is that Jesus, what you've done for me, you would do for your people. That you would make yourself real. Jesus, we open your word now. Speak. We pray in your name. Amen. On your message uh, note sheet, if, you, if you'd open up your study, if you didn't get a study, there's some on the seats around you. But grab your study, open up to the message sheet, and at the very top, I want you to write the word joy. Just write the word joy at the top of your sheet. And then next to that, I want you to write the word generosity. Generosity. Joy and generosity. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate yourself on the joy scale? 10 is the highest, 1 is the lowest. Where would you rate yourself between 1 and 10 on the joy scale? Where are you? Write it down. And then think to yourself, where would you like to be? Where would you like to be? On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, where would you like to be on the joy scale? And then on the generosity scale, on the scale of 1 to 10, where would you see yourself right now? On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, where would you see yourself on the generosity scale? And and then answer the question, where would you like to see yourself? Where would you like to be on a scale of 1 to 10? Where would you like to be? And then, let me ask you this. Where do you think Jesus is on this joy scale? Where where is Jesus on a scale of 1 to 10? Where is Jesus on the joy scale? And where is Jesus on the generosity scale? Where where do you think Jesus is 1 to 10 on the generosity scale? Listen, the point we're going to learn this morning is that the gospel, the good news about what Jesus has done, the gospel inspires us to to live with overflowing joy and rich generosity. The gospel inspires us to live with overflowing joy and rich generosity. That's what we're going to learn this morning, that joy and generosity go together. The scale of joy and the scale of generosity, they meet. Researchers at the University of Chicago and at Northwestern University did a study of something called hedonic adaptation. That sounds pretty crazy. 
I hope I don't get that. Will you have it? And it's this, that our pleasure, our happiness with any experience or event goes down with time. The first time we experience something, it's so impactful. But then it goes down, and then it goes down, and then it goes down, except researchers found with giving. Giving didn't have the same hedonic adaptation. It, it didn't decrease. You see, when researchers tested people who received and received and received, those things that brought them pleasure at first eventually decreased, but not with giving. The more they gave, the less adaptation there was. Because the gospel enables us to overflow with joy and rich generosity. Generosity and joy go together. And we're going to see that in Scripture. If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it'll, it'll be on the screen as we walk through this passage, but the letter of Paul to the church at Corinth, this is his second letter. Paul had, had visited Corinth. He had gone to Corinth, which is, was the southern capital of a Roman region called Achaia. And in this capital city of Achaia, it was a huge city in the standards of the day. And it was a wealthy city. They were rich. It was a luxurious city. There were so many fine things in the city of Corinth. Paul went to the city of Corinth on his missionary journeys, and there he began to make disciples. He started as a tent maker meeting people in the marketplace and telling people about the gospel and making disciples. And after he had spent some time in the marketplace making disciples, he gathered those disciples together and he started a church. And for 18 months, Paul lived in Corinth, building up the church, establishing elders, and then he was able to leave to go and share the gospel and make disciples in other cities and he writes to the church at Corinth a first letter, and it's called the Harsh Letter. We don't have a copy of it. So then he writes his second letter, which we have as 1 Corinthians, and then he writes this third letter, which we have in our Scripture as 2 Corinthians. And he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, he, he begins with these words. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Now, I want you to mark that first word, brethren. Brethren. He's speaking to this church as if they're family. These are people that he loves. These are people that he cares for. These are people that he spent months with. His heart and their hearts have been knit together. He loves his family, his spiritual family in Christ. He says, brethren, but like all families, he knows that there are great privileges with being a part of the family of God, but there's also responsibilities. And he doesn't want them to miss out on, on either the privileges or the responsibilities. The joy or the generosity. He writes to his brethren, his family. 
he writes to them, second in this verse, I want you to note the grace, grace of God. I don't want you to miss the grace of God. What is grace? Most people tell me that grace is undeserved favor, undeserved favor from God. And I'm so thankful for undeserved favor. But grace is so much more than that. Grace is ill-deserved favor. It's something that we've been working actively to demerit. We've rejected God's love. We've misinterpreted God's sovereign choices for our life. We've resisted his authority. We have ill-deserved his favor. Listen, if, if I give $100 to someone that, that could never pay me back, that's undeserved favor. But if I give $100 to someone who not only cannot pay me back, but who's already stolen $1,000 from me, then that's ill-deserved favor. And God's grace, the grace of God, don't miss this, it's not just undeserved, it's ill-deserved. The third thing in this verse is that he's writing and he's telling this church at Corinth about some other Christians in a place called Macedonia. And Corinth was rich, but Macedonia was poor. Corinth was a, a city. It was hopping. But Macedonia was, was rural. It wasn't quite as cosmopolitan. And he introduces this church at Corinth to some believers in Macedonia. And he had met those church, that church in Macedonia, he had met them first. Before he went to Corinth, he went to Macedonia. And he had gone to Macedonia because he saw a dream at night. He had a dream about a man from Macedonia who said, Paul, Paul, come, come and help us. And that word for help, that Paul hears in this Macedonia vision in Acts chapter 16 is, is to come to the aid of those who cry for help. It's the boetheo is the Greek word, and it's to run, to run to the aid of those who need help, to advance to the assistance of anyone. And that's what Paul does for this church at, at Macedonia. These people in Macedonia are poor and he runs to help them. And now he tells this church at Corinth, who are rich, that the grace of God has come to these people in Macedonia. And look what they do. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. There it is. There's our point. That the gospel inspires us to overflow with joy, and to be rich in generosity. And that's what was happening at this church in Macedonia. There you see their joy, the affliction and abundance of joy. And you see their generosity, the wealth of their liberality. Paul in verse 3 says, I testify that according to their ability... And beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. 
So Paul tells the church at Corinth about what God did in Macedonia. He says, listen, they have been giving proportionally. They've been giving proportionally. Everyone's giving according to their own need. Listen, we don't all give the same amount. Do you know what it would be if we all gave the same amount? It'd be dues. And that's what you give to the gym for the privilege of not going. Those are dues. We all pay the same thing, but that's not what was happening in Macedonia. In Macedonia, they're giving proportionally. Everyone gave according to their own ability. Then he says that they gave, secondly, sacrificially. They gave according to ability, and they gave beyond their ability. They gave beyond their ability. They gave sacrificially. And then finally, he says they gave voluntarily. They gave voluntarily. They were begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Now listen, if you've been coming for a while, and this is the first time you've ever heard us speak on giving, and you're thinking, I knew it. I knew it was just a matter of time before somebody started trying to get in my pocketbook. I mean, I just wish pastors would stop preaching on giving. And you know, we agree. We agree on that. In fact, I'm not sure it's biblical for me to talk to you about giving. Because 2 Corinthians says that you should be talking to me about your giving. 2 Corinthians says that what's biblical is for you to beg me for the privilege of giving. So, so you're right. It's not biblical. You should ask me. And you know what I'll say? Yes, please. <laughs> and I'll say thank you. And I do say thank you. I thank you for your generosity. I thank you for how generous this congregation is in supporting the work of the gospel. You've done it according to your ability. You've done it beyond your ability. And I pray you've done it voluntarily. This, Paul goes on in verse 5, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They first gave themselves to the Lord. Giving, generosity, is located, as in all things, in the category of our obedience to and our love for Jesus. We give because we are disciples of Jesus. We give because we've given ourselves to the Lord. The, the focus of giving is not philanthropic feelings. The focus of giving is submission to the authority of Jesus Christ over all things. Jesus is Lord, and therefore, having given ourselves to him, we give of ourselves financially and of our time and of our abilities. But it's, it's not a subset of philanthropy. It's a subset of our being disciples of Jesus. Let me share the difference. 
You see, if, if Jesus has right to some things, then when we give, and we don't give very much, then we're stingy. But if Jesus has all things, if we're amongst those who say we have given ourselves fully to the Lord, He has authority, He's Lord of my life, if that's true of us and we don't give, then we're robbing Jesus. You see the difference? These poor Christians in Macedonia were disciples of Jesus. They had said, Jesus, you have everything. You have everything, and we will not rob you by failing to share of our financial resources, even as small as they are. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. So Paul is an amazing coach. He's a great leader. And he writes to this church at Corinth and he says, Church, there's some people in Macedonia who have found a source of joy. And they have found a source of joy in their generosity. And it's overflowing. They're overflowing with joy. And they're rich in generosity. But listen, you... You probably wouldn't want to have anything to do with that. I mean, you're probably good on the joy scale. You're probably okay on the generosity scale. So listen, don't, don't, uh, don't, don't, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll just let Macedonia give. You see, what he's, he's creating this competition, and competition's not bad. He's a great coach. He's a great leader. And he says, hey, Corinth, I'm not sure this is a fair fight. I think Macedonia has a huge advantage on you. And the reason is because of the gospel. He invites them not to religion, but to the gospel. He invites them to a gracious work. Listen, the difference between religion and the gospel is this. In religion, we give just enough to think that now we have God on our side. In religion, we give just enough so that maybe we've purchased God's acceptance of us. But in the gospel, we give because we know that a gracious work has made someone who has no right to what we've experienced with God. But we give generously out of love for Him not be, so that we would be blessed, although we will be blessed, but we give because we've been blessed already with his love and forgiveness and acceptance through the gospel. Let me tell you a story that illustrates the difference between religion and the gospel. If you've heard this story before, 
Listen anyway. There was a man who served a king. He served the king, and, and he did what he did. He was a vegetable farmer. His hands were always dirty. And as a vegetable farmer on a very small plot of land, he served the king. And he grew in this very small plot of land, he grew a carrot, a carrot as if no one had ever seen before. And he brought this carrot, a carrot, a carrot? Yes, a carrot. It was an amazing carrot. And he brought it to the king and he said, King, I love you. Here, have what I have been able to produce from this small portion of land you've blessed me with. The king took the gift and he said, Thank you. Thank you for your expression of love. Thank you for your generosity towards me. I'm going to take that small portion of land and I'm going to give you a hundred acres to tend on my behalf. Thank you for loving me. Well, one of the other servants of the king, the, the man who was in charge of his stables, saw what had happened with the vegetable farmer. And so he went back to his stable and he began to, to grow and train a horse. It was the finest horse anyone had ever seen in the kingdom. And he brought this beautiful stallion to the king and he gave him to the king with lots of fanfare. And the king looked at the horse and he looked at his servant and he said, Thank you. To which the man stood and, and waited. And he looked at his horse and he looked at the king. And he waited. And, and after a little bit, the king said, well, what, what are you doing? Why don't you go ahead and take the horse back to the stables for me? What, I mean, what are you waiting for? And he said, well, listen, I, I saw that a guy brought you a carrot. I mean, a carrot. And you gave him a hundred acres of land. But I've brought you this stallion. And, and all you did was say thank you. I mean, quite honestly, king, I'm a little bit offended. And the king said, well, the offense is mine. Because that man, he gave me the carrot. Oh, yes, it was a carrot. But he gave me the carrot because he loved me. And you gave me that stallion because you loved yourself. And that is the difference between religion and the gospel. Religion gives, the religion gives, it may even give sacrificially. It may even give great gifts. Listen, there are religious people who give far more than I do. But they only give because they love themselves. But the gospel, oh, the gospel. In the gospel we give because we've experienced the love of a king. And oh, if we just give him a carrot, yes, a carrot. Because of his love for us. It's a gracious work. It's a work of the gospel. You say, well, tell me more about this gospel. Tell me more about this thing that can move into my life and, and give me the opportunity to overflow with joy and be rich in generosity. Tell me more. A 
Okay, I will. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The gospel. The gospel is the bad news. And the bad news of the gospel is this, that we all owe a debt to God that we could never repay. Each of us has robbed God. We've robbed Him in not giving Him glory. Though He had all authority over us as our Creator, we robbed Him of glory. Because in our sin, we failed to observe all that He commanded us. We robbed him of glory. We robbed him of obedience. We robbed him of worship. We said we'd rather bring praise and honor to ourselves than to you. We all had a debt that we could never repay to God. The good news of the gospel is this, that though we were poor, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, came to earth. Think of the poverty of that. That Jesus Christ, who had been with God the Father for all eternity past, complete in his union with him, stepped into our world, put on our humanity, was made like us in every way. You think the poverty of that. In a few months, we'll celebrate Christmas. We'll celebrate Christmas. But think of the poverty of Christmas, that Jesus was born Not in the finest hospital, but he was born. He was born in a barn, and he was placed in a feeding trough amongst the poorest of the poor. Eight days after his birth, he went to Jerusalem with his parents, and there he was circumcised, and the sacrifice was made. And that sacrifice was not the sacrifice of the wealthy, but it was the sacrifice of the poorest of the poor, two turtle doves or two pigeons. Jesus was poor. Jesus began his ministry. He went from town to town. The house he lived in in Capernaum was probably not purchased by him, but borrowed from someone else. He was supported financially through the benevolence of people who followed him, his disciples, including Women who supported him financially. When he rode into Jerusalem, he rode into Jerusalem. At the end of his life, he rode in to be crowned as king on a borrowed donkey. What kind of king borrows a donkey for his coronation? He celebrated his last supper in someone else's room eating someone else's food. And then he climbed on a cross that belonged to someone else. It was my cross. And it was your cross. And on that cross, he paid the full and awful penalty that our sins deserve. All my sin was placed on Jesus on the cross. He didn't deserve to be there. But the arc of his life was to exchange wealth for poverty so that we could become rich in him. Rich? Yes, rich. 
Rich, is that the right word? Yes, rich. Rich in what? Rich in the mercy of God. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, God says you can be rich. Rich? Yes, rich. Rich in mercy. Ephesians 2, 7, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You can be rich. Rich? Yes, rich in grace. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. You can be rich. Rich? Yes, rich. Rich in glory. Oh, that, that God would be rich to us in, in mercy. That we wouldn't receive what our sins deserve. That he would be rich in grace. That even though we had punched him in his face and we were ill-deserving of his love, he chose through the work of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, he chose to be rich toward us in grace. No, that we could be rich in glory. That we could have confidence that the best really is yet to come. That what is waiting for me is eternal life. You say, that sounds pretty good. How do I get that? How do I receive mercy and grace and glory? How do I receive those kind of riches? You can't work for it. You don't deserve it. It comes through faith, trust in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. How is it that our Father in heaven would be so generous to us that he would sacrifice his son so that when we believe in him, he could be rich toward us in mercy and grace and glory? Our part is to believe. It starts when we see and admit our indebted condition before God. God, I've sinned against you in thought and word and deed, and, and I'm in debt. I could never repay it. I, I could never. I admit, I'm bankrupt. It's when we believe that Jesus paid the full and awful penalty. He paid off my debt on the cross, and then he transfers to my account his righteousness that he had racked up through his obedient life. He transfers that record of righteousness to me so that now I don't stand before God in my indebtedness. I stand before God in the riches of Jesus that he purchased for me. And I believe and I commit. Jesus, come into my life. I give everything to you. I give everything to you, all of my sin, all of my shame, all of my need, so that I might receive from you everything you have for me. Mercy, grace, glory, your righteousness credited to my account. Have you believed? Won't you? Oh, won't you make that exchange? Your poverty placed on Jesus, his riches 
credited to you riches of mercy and grace and glory. See, it's the gospel. It's the gospel that produces in us overflowing joy and rich generosity. So what kinds of people ought we be? According to what Paul has said to the church at Corinth, what kind of people should we be? We should be joyful people. We should be joyful people that in great a deal of affliction, their abundance of joy, their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They, we should be joyful people. What should we do? We should give. We should give in this gracious work just as you abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you see that you abound in this gracious work also. Oh, what kind of people ought we be? Joyful people. What kind of people, what are we called to do, people? We're called to give. And so what I want for you this week is I want you to be joyful givers. I want you to be joyful givers. How does it start? It starts when we believe the gospel. Like this church in Macedonia, when we give everything to the Lord. When we give everything to the Lord, when we believe the gospel. When we begin to know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. It's when we believe the gospel that we become joyful givers. So what I want for you this week is I want you to believe the gospel. I want you to believe that Jesus did it all so that you could have it all, so that you could be rich in mercy and grace and glory. I want you to believe the gospel. I want you to follow Jesus. If you've given him everything, follow him. Follow him. You want to become a joyful giver? Lean into Jesus. Start counting on him. Start counting on him for the grace you need to follow him. Listen, Jesus is the wise one, and this is what Jesus says. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You see, long before there were social sciences, Jesus already knew that joy and generosity go together. Long before anyone ever did a study, Jesus already knew because he's the wise one. Follow him. Follow him. Obey him in this joy of giving. Believe the gospel. Follow Jesus as a disciple of him. His, learn from him what it means to be a joyful giver. And then find some examples. Find some examples. Paul uses the example of the Macedonian Christians to help the Corinthian Christians learn about generosity. So we need some examples. We need some examples. My friend uh, Brad Leyland helps us with this this week. Hi, my name is Brad Leyland. I have gone and been a part of Good News and been a member for 25 years. I love my church, and I'm so grateful for getting to be a part of it. Smiley asked me to talk 
about generosity and um, specifically how did I learn to be generous and what have I gotten out of being generous and uh, what is it, what kind of role does it play in my life? Um, here's my thing about generosity and giving. You can't outgive God. And my experience has been that God has given us everything and everything belongs to him. And our responsibility is to have open hands and be free with what God has given us. So generosity came, honestly, I met Jesus and Jesus gave me everything. And that's my ultimate model for generosity. But really, we have to trace it back to when I was much younger. When I was in college, I uh, went on part-time staff with Young Life and I had to ask people for support. And it was the scariest thing I'd ever done. And like, I didn't grow up with parents who had lots of money and gave a lot of money away. Um, but I did have this best friend, Steve, and his parents, Steve and friend Godfrey, when I, um, and they're members of our church, but when I met, when I went on Young Life staff part-time, um, I went and met with Steve and Fran, and I had asked them if they would help me uh, with giving money to my work. And they were blew me away with their generosity then. And then I witnessed their generosity over and over again, not just with money, but with about all of who they are and their life and welcoming me into their world. And so my greatest example of generosity is obviously God. My second is Stephen Fran Godfrey, amazing people that have just blessed my life. But over the years, through these great role models, I've learned to trust God and to have these open hands and realize that everything belongs to God. And my job is to be a conduit to let God work and, and serve through Wendy and I in our giving. And so we have always been committed. Like we're not people that believe that you should wait till you have surplus and then out of the surplus give to God. What we believe is that we want to tithe and do more than tithe and let God give to us. And God has given us so much and then bless others. And so over the last um, year, met several years, like we've just pushed our generosity as much as we possibly can, supporting lots of ministries and lots of people. And I've watched God just continuously bless me as a part of it. You know, one of the things I learned early in my giving is that I would sort of make this step of faith and, and give God, give an organization money. And then I would watch God bless me on the back end. Um, I'm not saying that if I gave away my car and let's say I gave away a Dodge, I'm not saying the next day I would get a Lamborghini. That's bad theology. But the idea is that trusting God with everything I had and then watching God uh, give me more. Um, and so I've just been grateful for the chance. Here's the deal is I encourage each of you to consider how you can enter into uh, the space of being a conduit of God to use your resources to glorify him. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's your energy. Um, in my experience is both. And so um, we're just really grateful for the chance to do what we get to do. So I'm Brad Leyland. Thanks for letting me be a part of Good News Church. One of the reasons I'm glad we're a small group church and, and one of the reasons that we do message-based small groups is so that when you go to small group this week, you'll have the opportunity to hear other people's story of how they're growing in grace and in a joyful, generous life with Jesus. And, and you say, well, what do I do? Well, 
you use them as an example, just like Brad did with Steve and Fran. You lean in and you say, Jesus, what you're doing in their life, I want you to do in my life. And maybe you're the person in your small group who will break the sound barrier this week and share your story of how God has helped you, through his grace, become a joyful giver. But that's why we do life together, so that we can have examples around us that spur one another on toward love and good deeds, to be rich in generosity. Find an example. Believe the gospel. Follow Jesus. Find examples. And then lastly, team up. Team up. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. That word for participation is koinonia. It's the word for fellowship or sharing in life together. When we team up, we can do so much more with our resources. That's how giving works here. When we team up together, we can do so much more for the gospel. When we team up and we each give proportionally and sacrificially and voluntarily, together we can do so much more when we pull our resources together. We have resources to be able to invest in planting churches around the world. We have resources to be able to invest in disciples who are making disciples. We have resources to invest for the gospel when we team up together. But what would happen? What would happen in addition to our teaming up in this room? What if we teamed up together with our small group? And in addition to our regular giving to good news, what if we teamed up together in our small groups and we said, I wonder how long it would take for us to, to give enough, save enough, to be able to plant our own church in India? I mean, what would it be like if you had the, the press-on small group church in India? What would it be like if there was the fish-out-of-water small group in India? What would it be like if we teamed up together to, to give, yes, to the church, but we gave sacrificial beyond that, teamed up together to plant churches? What if we teamed up together? And listen, anybody got extra stuff in your garage? Some friends went in my garage last night. They were over. They said, man, Dave, you got a lot of stuff. I said, you're right. But what if I teamed up with somebody else? I had a garage sale, and at the proceeds of that garage sale, I said, well, I can't do a lot with this, but you know what I could do? I could probably have a garage sale and, and have enough to pay for the shipping on the Operation Christmas Child boxes that our small group puts together this year. Because the hard part isn't filling up the boxes. The hard part is paying for the shipping. I know some of your groups have packed hundreds of boxes, and you go, well, how are we going to pay for the shipping? Well, when we team up together, we have a garage sale, then you can use that to pay for the shipping. What could the Holy Spirit give you wisdom to do if you began to ask? When we team up together, we can do so much more. Thank you. Thank you for teaming up with us. Thank you for being generous. Thank you for supporting your church voluntarily. And I ask you, listen, if you weren't a 10 on joy or you weren't a 10 on generosity, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Believe the gospel. Follow him. 
Find examples. Team up. And listen, what would happen in our community if, if we went out as tens? Haven't you always wanted people to say, you're a ten? What if we went out in our community as tens this week? You think anyone would notice? If we went out in tens, overflowing with joy and rich in generosity, do you think anyone would notice? I think they would. And when they say, what has gotten into you? You could say, Jesus. Why don't you come and see him too? Let's pray. Jesus, that we could be undone by your rich generosity towards us, that you were willing to become poor so that we, through your poverty, might become rich. Oh, how we need to be rich. Rich in mercy, rich in grace rich in glory. If you've never made that exchange, your poverty for Christ's riches, won't you? Won't you believe the gospel? Won't you admit, Jesus, I admit, I'm bankrupt. I have a debt that I could never repay. Jesus, I believe that, that you paid my debt. You went to the cross and you paid the full and awful penalty that my sin deserves. And Jesus, you offer me your record of righteousness. You'll credit it to my account. I believe and I commit. I give myself to you because you are Lord of all. Come into my life. Help me become the person you want me to be. Jesus, we long to be your disciples. Would you help us take, take the step of joyful giving that your Holy Spirit will help us know and obey. For we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.